Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. And it's, you know, I think all of us can say that we're just hungry for more of Jesus. That's really what it's all about. It's, it's not even about, you know, just the statement, we want more of him, he wants more of us. A lot of, a lot of what we go through is simply because God has not gained ground in bits of our life. And, you know, it's not the enemy, it's the flesh. It's, it's an unwillingness to surrender. I mean, my biggest battles have been with Jay Fallon. My biggest fight has been with God and not with the devil. The demands of Jesus are radical, but if you follow them, it produces fruit. You can have an amazing life. You can exchange our, our lives that are empty, really, and rotten and full of self into a life that's absolutely full of an abundant life. Not an easy life, but an abundant life. So this morning, I just, if you can turn with me in your scripture, if you turn um, to Luke 14, 26, and as you're turning there, I just want to read a few scriptures. If you turn to Luke 14, 26, then I'll be reading a few more scriptures. I'll give you a bit of time to get that. Luke 14 and verse 26. Has most people got it? Okay. Okay, just keep your finger there. I'm going to come back to that in about one minute, but I just want to read, read a few scriptures to you. Um, and the first one is found in 2 Timothy um, 3, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 2. It says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And they're already here. The nations are being sh- shook. Foundations are being shook. The last days are here, but it's amazing the description it gives you of the last days. When you consider that this was written over two and a half thousand years ago, I mean, it's astonishing what the Holy Spirit put in this book so that we would gain hope, so that we would gain strength from it. And it says this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. In other words, they'll have no power within themselves to change themselves. There'll be be a power over their lives, whether it be the devil in John 10.10 or whether it be the flesh it speaks about in Galatians 5. There's going to be a power in them that they're going to know deep down, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to think like this. I don't want to be like this. But somehow they're going to know that, you know, I've no power over these things. And when they do these things, it, it produces, it just produces bad fruit. It, it produces lack of hope, discouragement, depression. You know, there's no sense of any destiny and purpose. They're, you're almost frightened of yourself. You think, man, I, there's no, there's no point in me going forward because I'm only going to fall anyway. So there's self-sabotage until it takes the extreme in itself. And people say, I'll just take my life because I'm really not happy with myself. I've no power in myself. I know I'm made for something bigger, but I can't quite get it. And the Bible says the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And I want to tell you the gospel is good news. But if the church wants to grow then the Bible says there'll come a time when Jesus will speak. And when he speaks, it says that the dead will hear his voice. If we want church growth, 
then we need to preach the gospel to the dead because the dead hear the power of God's voice and they wake up and change come off depression and loneliness and lack a sense of purpose. The gospel gives people hope. Hallelujah. So the dead, the gospel is for the dead. We can't come in and have gospel meetings for us. We're already alive. In fact, you thank God for the gospel. You praise God for the gospel. But if you're really honest, when you hear it being preached, you think, I don't need the gospel again. I need food to sustain me to live the Christian life. I don't need to preach the gospel. In fact, well, maybe the, maybe the church should preach the gospel to herself again to remind herself that we're alive in Christ, that we have been forgiven, that every weapon formed against you shouldn't prosper, and that we're fighting a foe who's already been defeated. He's been disarmed, and he's no power. And God said, I've given you the power. I've given you the authority. So we know the gospel. We know the power of God. But in the last days, it said they're going to be headstrong, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but no power. Then the other scripture I want to give you is Mark 12, verse 30. Mark 12, verse 30 says this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is likewise. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just one more scripture. Revelation chapter 2 in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then Luke 14 is where I want to preach from. Luke 14 and verse 26. Luke 14, 26. It says this in verse 20, let's start from verse 25. Now a great multitude went with him and, turned to, and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and his children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he's enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, and he who sees it begins to mock him, saying, this man began, but was not able. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down and first consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to meet that which comes against him, with 20,000, or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for the conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, and, sorry, does not forsake all, that he has, that he has, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, it's, it's no good for seasoning. 
it is neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but be thrown into the fire. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself. I want to talk to you this morning about true discipleship. If you'll just bear with me as I go through this foundation. Because Paul says, although he's talking in a different context to the Galatians, I'm surprised you've moved away for another gospel. And all through the generations, truth gets lost. We know that. Truth gets watered down. And the Bible says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. Jesus made it clear that all who follow him, that there is a narrow path that leads to life. And there's a broad one that leads to destruction. And in human tendency, there is a tendency deep within us, especially those who are preaching from an unsurrendered life, or those who do not want to surrender can almost have, a, no, I wouldn't say a jealousy or, or an envy, although sometimes that's true, but almost don't want to talk to others about full commitment because deep down they know themselves that they may have no, made that commitment. And there's a tendency, even in preaching the gospel and church growth, to broaden the road that he called narrow to get a crowd rather than make disciples. I really don't think God is really worried about how many is in our church. I really don't. I think we've made it bigger than it is. I think we should have fruit. I think people should be added daily. But I think just to have a mega church and feel that we've achieved something is an absolute lie. I think God is looking for true discipleship that bears fruit. I think he's looking for disciples who are willing to count the cost willing to look down and say, do I really want to follow Jesus Christ? And I thank God that he never had anything. I thank God there's no hidden print with terms and conditions. I thank God he put it up front. This is the cost of following me. I actually think the cross has been preached very negatively, as if somehow that if you give your life to God, you're giving up everything and gaining nothing. When the Bible speaks about the opposite, that, that any man who's gave up for me will receive a hundredfold in this life. That there's going to be a joy, there's going to be a peace, there's going to be a power, and there's going to be an authority. Now, remember Luke 15, the, the two brothers, the prodigal brother left, but the older brother stayed in. And when the prodigal came back, he was angry, and he, he couldn't celebrate, and he couldn't rejoice. Now, I, I want to make a suggestion to you. You can be an amazing laborer. You can be an amazing person serving Christ even, serving the Father. You can have all your dots and T's and I's all joined up together. And that's great. We need that. But when the prodigal came back, this older brother couldn't celebrate with him. And I want to suggest to you, it's possible to be in the house and not know the Father's heart. It's possible to be doing the things of God, but not have the heart of God. It's possible to be a servant, but know nothing about mercy and celebrating and rejoicing with others. You see, friends, God's really interested in us being conformed into the image of His Son more than what we even do for Him. The question today is, am I more like Jesus Am I serving him with a pure heart and clean hands? And this older brother couldn't even celebrate. 
And you know, if you want to know you're a disciple, one of the, the signs that you're losing your first lovers is when we refuse to recelebrate when people come back to God. We're suspicious of them. How many backsliders would come back to our church if every time we came in, we danced and said, you were dead, but now you're alive. We're just glad you're back. And they went and told other backsliders. Discipleship. And when Jesus is saying, hate your father and your mother and your children, what he's saying is, he's not saying, that word hate is not used in I hate you. No, it means compared to Jesus Christ, I can't love you as much as I love him. He has the first place in my heart. My seat of my affections is higher for Christ than my children, my husband, and everything else. He's, he's comparing it almost to a hate. But he's saying, no, it's about your affections. It's about your heart. Paul said in Philippians 3.8, I count everything loss that I might gain Christ. Isn't it amazing? The devil will show you what you're losing but won't show you what you're gaining. He'll make it very unattractive. If you pick up this cross, you're going to lose lots of friends. You're going to lose your family. And by the way, many have. I can't even promise you if you totally surrender. You see, that's what the anointing is. The anointing is a total possession of the Holy Ghost. A total surrender to one will. A total surrender if we want the fire of God to come and we sing about revival and we pray about revival and Elijah's day, they restored the altar of God and they restored that altar and they put the bull on it and I'll tell you, then the fire come. But I'll tell you, God wants every bit of us on the altar. If you want the fire, then give God everything. Romans 12:1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I want to tell you, it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a bending of my will to God's will. And me saying, I don't want to live for Jay Fallon anymore. If anybody, it says, does not hate father, mother, brother, sister's wife, cannot be my disciple. Now, that's strong words. They're not negative but they're truthful. And the church has made a broad road and we just pull anybody in. It's so, you know, Cedric, Meshach, and Abednego never got put in a fire for saying, I'm okay, you're okay. We choose to disagree with you. They said, no, we're taking a stand for God. We're taking a stand for truth. Friends, there is absolutes. The truth is an absolute truth. It can't move. It can't be shaken. It can't be watered down. It is what it is. It's either absolute truth or it's not. But it is. And know what the truth does. The truth sets you free. The gospel tells you the truth about yourself. It tells you that we are wretched inside. That we are bent on sin. That there's nothing good in our flesh. But that there's a man called Jesus Christ. And if you surrender your life... You can be forgiven. He heals all your diseases. He can touch your life. He opens prison doors. He can set the captives free. He can open blind eyes. He can break every bondage. He can cast out every demon. He can make the lame dance again. This is the power of our Christ. This is the power of a surrendered life. Why wouldn't you want to say yes to Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. 
There's no power in ourselves to do this. All of us know the fight of the flesh. We know how strong it is. Who's not failed? Who's not fallen? Thank God for grace and mercy that follows us all the days of our life. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And there's hardly any speaking about that. And I know, I thank God for the worship this morning. But I want to tell you, friends, it's no, we, we need to get away a little bit from God can meet your need this morning. Say, God, what can I do for you this morning? You stretched out on a cross for me. Now what can I do for you? And I'll tell you, you know what I've discovered. When I stretch it for him, he meets my needs anyway. When I forget about myself, I find another life anyway. When I get my eyes off my own problems and serve other people, I find a presence with me. I find a power with me. It's a deliberate choosing. The Bible says that we have to prefer one another. And the devil lies about what we will lose, but doesn't talk about the rewards. We can't cherry pick the cross. Well, I like that bit. I like that forgiveness bit. That's phenomenal. I'll take that. Ah, nice cherry. Take that. Put it in the basket. Forgets my sin no more. I'll, I'll take that. You can't pick and choose. We need to embrace the cross because it produces a resurrected life. And you know, you can't, but what about a fellowship with suffering? The Bible says if we choose Christ, yeah, there's going to be some tough times involved. You're going to be rejected by men. You know, I'll tell you, the flesh loves the praise of men. We absolutely love the praise of men. And if you're a true disciple, the Bible says you need to starve that and live to please the Father. You're going to be rejected by men. If you choose the cross, there's going to be a night of isolation where it'll lead you into a garden. The God-man, Jesus Christ, was sweating drops of blood because he said, my will and the Father's will. I need to bend my will to the Father. He sweated drops of blood, our Savior, our Master, our Savior, our friend. There's a night of isolation. You need to make a choice. Am I going to follow the crowd who are going nowhere? Or do I want to give my life to something that's going to last for eternity and make a difference in people's lives? Hallelujah. Do I want to give my life to just normal Christianity where we're singing just a few songs and going home and we'll pick bits of the cherry? Are you saying, no, God, lead me to the garden, not to do the finished work that you've done, but so that I can bend my flesh and say, God, your will be done in my life. What do you want me to do? I want to tell you, friends, you know my story. I'm nothing but a little council estate boy. I mean, I mean, I had even less than two loaves and fishes to give to God. But I only can tell you this, and I'm not perfect yet, and I'm not there, but I'll tell you this, I know the power. If you surrender your life, You'll feel another life coming into you. You'll find yourself saying things you can't say, doing things you can't do, going places you should never have been, preaching when you can't preach, proclaiming when you can't proclaim, overcoming stuff you can't overcome, breaking addictions you can't break, changing a nature that absolutely robbed you of peace and joy. And then that life comes in and you discover you've got a boldness, you've got a courage, you've got an authority, you've got power over the enemy, you've got power over the flesh, but it's going to come out of being 
a living sacrifice. And if you say, yes, God, you are going to get knocked into a realm. I'll tell you where you're more than a conqueror. And he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. If you want to live the Christian life and we want to live life abundantly, then I ask you this morning, are you on the altar? Do you want the fire to come? If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. That's not easy. I've not found that easy. Because I'm stubborn. Sometimes. I even find myself resisting Christ. Because there's things in me. There's a flesh. I'm at war with myself. But thank God, I'm telling you, I could give you principles on how to and what to do. But for what I read in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, those who have become more than conquerors are those who have simply surrendered their life and said yes, no matter what the cost. And when the storms came, they still said yes. And when they got criticized, they still said yes. And we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are saying, run with all your life. And you'll know a power and an authority. If I was preaching this morning, I want to talk to you about how to fill your cup. We could fill the altar. But I'm talking this morning, who is willing to now say with all of the heart, yes, God, I'm serving you. But I'm asking you, you're in the house, but do you have the Father's heart? I'm asking you, you're in the Father's house, but do we have his grace and his patience and his love and his compassion and his tenderness? You see, God's interested in the heart. I'll tell you, I can serve people all day as long as they don't annoy me. I'm serious, I could. But I'm talking about when somebody criticizes you and God says, you, you, you now have no rights. You have no rights. You give me your rights. You can't defend yourself. You leave it to me. I'll tell you, you try that. Oh, I can serve people, but you try that. You do good and people call it bad. You do good and people talk behind your back. You get stabbed in the back. I'll tell you, you try that. I'll tell you everything in you. Wants to go up and shut the door. Might send an email. Or let's bring this right down. And God says, no. I was in a garden and they beat me and they punched me. And they whipped my back off. They'd done all that to me. And yet I could say, Father, forgive them. I tell you, that's abundant life. I tell you, that will bring something that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. That will bring an an abiding presence of Christ and a fellowship that you can't imagine. Thank God for discipleship courses. But I tell you, they can't produce this. This comes through life. This comes the school of hard knocks, the school of challenges. It's a deliberate choice. We need to bring sacrifice back into the Christian life again. We meet, and, and by the way, it's not just a living sacrifice because the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. It's obedience and sacrifice because there's some things I can sacrifice that I don't care anyway. So you can have it, you can take it. But isn't it amazing how God asks you for the things that you need to sacrifice? Well, I gave a million, million pounds away yesterday. This is a guy who's got 100 million. And God says, I'll tell you what, you keep the million and give me the 99. That's a sacrifice. I'll tell you, God knows how to kill a man. 
and he draws you and it's almost like the spirit saying this morning I'll gear up do you want this because you can't just mentally decide well I'm just going to mentally I'll tell you it's a call of the spirit and it comes to people and some have said yes and some have said no it's not a case of salvation we're getting to heaven but it's a case of fulfilling the purpose of God do you know that there were missionaries on our island who got coffins and, and when they went, went abroad they got coffins and they put their stuff in it and they kissed their mum and dad's goodbye because they knew they wouldn't be back again you can hardly get a, a, a man or woman now to leave their mother's little, what do you call them, aprons. They were 18 and 19. And her mum and dad embraced them and said, we gladly, if it's for him, we gladly let you go. We'll sacrifice too. And they never seen each other again. C.T. stood at the, not, not the beginning of his life, neither in the end of it. I think that's the worst time when the devil comes and says, relax. I think that's when he tries to ease everything down a bit, slow down. And he said this. No, what they said to him, his wife was sick. Forgive me if I misquote the story, but his wife was in Britain, I think, for 18 years while he was in Africa. They sacrificed it. Some people might say, well, he neglected his wife, but I'll tell you, it was in agreement with his wife. His wife said, go. And, 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 and as he was getting older, they said, look, CT, go home now. And by the way, he gave millions away. He had £4,000 left. This was in the 1800s. £4,000 left after he'd given everything away to Hudson Taylor and, and orphanages. He had £4,000 left. He said, I'll give it to my wife. And she said, don't you dare give it to me. So he went, give it away. And he said, the devil was whispering in his ear, £4,000 will help you all through your missionary life. And he said, I gave it away. And I went. And he, as he was getting older... And this, 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 is to what he, this is what he said as they told him to go home. He looked at the man and he said this. Some would love to sit within the sound of chapel bells. In other words, in the garden with the leaves blown. Within the sound of chapel bells. But I would rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. An old man who could have went home and rested. Sacrifice needs to come back if Jesus Christ be God and died for me there's no sacrifice too great that I can make for him if anybody loves me he must forsake all Luke 14.33 so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all cannot be my disciple no sacrifice remember Abraham Take your son, your only son. See, God says, I want you to love me even more than ministry, even more than preaching, even more than serving me. Because those times, he said, you've lost your first love. He said that to a church who is very, very busy. And we're, we are now becoming very busy for a God we know less and less of. Paul's whole life was that I might know him. I tell you, we could do some great things, and so we should. I think it's great what's happening here. I think it was great, the presentations this morning. But I'll tell you this, not the cost of not knowing him. Not of the cost of being in a house and not knowing the Father's heart. Not at the cost of serving somebody with a bag, but having a nasty spirit or an unforgiving spirit. Because God sees the heart. 
And this morning, the devil would say, sacrifice, make it unattractive. But I want to tell you, all you young people here, 18, 19, 14, 15, I'll tell you, it's the best thing you could do with your life, get surrendering it to Jesus Christ. It's an absolute joy if you would surrender your life to Is it easy? No, but I'll tell you, do you know what, know what, know what I've discovered? It's not until you surrender it and then all of a sudden, heaven opens up and provision comes. All of a sudden, you think, God's called me to preach, but I've nothing to say. But when you step out, all of a sudden, the oil never stops flowing. You think, I think God wants me to go to the, go to the poor and, and go out in the street and evangelize but I'm terrified. But as you take the step, you find a courage and a power coming into you. And see, the devil's got you on the other side of sacrifice. But as soon as you step on the altar, I'll tell you, all heaven opens up. All power and all authority comes into your spirit. You preach with power. You pray with power. You speak with authority. Look at the disciples, fishermen. They were fishermen. And they were put in prison. And when they were in prison, they were still singing. Why? Because they were on the other side of sacrifice. They'd seen the Christ. And I'll tell you, once he's touched you, you can't go back again. You can't go back to normal Christianity. You can't go back to normal singing. You can't go back to listening to normal preaching. Once the fire has touched you, you want to live on fire. You want to live full with the Holy Ghost. You want to live in the power of God. Oh God, that the church would go on the altar again. And just let God be God. And let the fire fall. Hallelujah. 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 We want the fire, but we want it at bargain prices. We say, God, I'll give you this, but not that. And God says, no, give me everything and see me moving again. That's what revival is. It's nothing more than a surrendered life to the will of God, according to this Bible, according to his plan for discipleship, not men's. And then the Bible says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the true love in the church. I'll tell you honestly, friends, you can hardly even correct somebody in church anymore that they run to the church next door until you find somebody who tells you what you want to hear. But I'll tell you, I thank God for every pastor who's got a staff and a rod and will tell me the truth. Everybody needs a Nathan in their life to say, you're the man, you're the one, you're out of order, you've got a bad attitude, it's you're the one. And I'll tell you, if you're dead, it won't offend you. You'll embrace it with love. But if you're alive... God help the pastor. <laughs> we laugh at that, but we talk to men of God as if we can just judge them, as if we can just say what we want, as if our words mean nothing, as if we can just pull down anybody, as if we can just slay anybody, as if we can just talk about any leader, as if we can just do anything, as if it's a free for all and there's no order. And God said, no, there's going to be consequences for that. can't just come against authority. We can't just say what we want. We can't just pull each other down. No, they, they said they'll know because of your love for one another. We're imperfect people. But we have to love one another. I've told you the story before. When I took care of my first church, there was a man in the church. Every Sunday he would come up to me. Don't agree with you. Don't agree with you. Don't agree with you. Didn't like it. Don't agree with you. Didn't like it. I'll be honest with you. I was beginning not to like him. <laughs> In fact, I'll be even more honest than that. I was getting thoughts that weren't even Christian towards him. 
And I remember going up my room and praying, God, would you move this man? I'm the pastor. Would you move him? And God said this, as much as you've loved him, that's how much you've loved me. You see, it wasn't about him. It was about me. He wasn't the problem. I was the problem. Because I wasn't dead as much as I thought I had. I could preach about dying to self. But I'll tell you, I wasn't living it. And then the Holy Ghost comes. And he brings conviction. I remember when I first got saved, I was eating a sweetie and I threw a piece of paper away. In Glasgow. In a council estate. Beer cans everywhere. Spray paint. One, one sweetie paper. And I got a conviction. The Holy Ghost said, pick that up. I thought, I'm not picking that up. It's a piece of paper. And it was a windy day. And it was getting further away from me. <laughs> and I was looking at it, and it was blowing and blowing. I got so convicted. So convicted, I ran after it. All the way down. And I got it. Put it in my pocket, and I went home, and I put it in the bin. I went into my room, and I experienced the presence of God. And he said, if you stay close to me like that, I'll use your life. See, that bit of paper meant nothing to anybody in the world, but I want to tell you, there's things between us and the Holy Ghost nobody knows about. He'll strike you with conviction. And he'll say, forgive. It's no cherry picking. The demands of Christ are radical. He wants your death. And out of that, an amazing, an amazing fellowship comes with Christ. An amazing access comes to heaven. I'll tell you, when, when you're dead, he'll tell you, you become a better husband. You'll be able to love your wife the way he loves the church. I'll tell you, outside of that, it's impossible. And I'm not being funny about that. It's not because I don't have a lovely wife, because I date. I've got, she's lovely, gentle, soft. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so what I mean is, I've not got a hard. I'm not living with a hard person, so it would be easy. But when I want my own way, and I stick with this stubbornness in, and bring an atmosphere to my home that only a father can, and God says no. You lay down your life for her the way I laid down my life for you. That's radical. So I'm not preaching this morning, come and get filled. Come and get your needs met. No, I'm saying, would you like to come and give him everything? Would you like your life to be used? We can't even love each other. But it comes out of death. Do you get it? Life comes out of death. But we're, we're putting principles on top of flesh. 12 steps, how to have a great marriage, 19 steps. You can't put that on top of Jay Fallon. Jay Fallon needs to die, and then the principle of life comes. That's why it's not working. You think, I've tried the 19 steps, I've tried the 14 steps, 19 steps, how we get angry. I'm at step 18, and I'm angry that I'm still angry. I can't overcome my temper. And I'll tell you, I had a raging one. I was angry at my life, and I took it out on everybody, everybody else, but I was really angry at me. And God had to deal with me and discipline me. And it took years for me to surrender and realize, this is me. It's not everybody else. It's not the church. It's not the world. 
God, it's me, deliver me. I renounce myself. I renounce the works of the enemy. Fill me with your life, God. I choose to say yes. And I need to do that every day. I need to do that every day. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, John 8, 31. Luke 14, 33 says this. So likewise, we're nearly, we're nearly there. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all cannot be my disciple. Yes, you might lose family. I can't promise you won't. People have. Can't say you won't lose reputation. People have. But I can promise you this. If you say yes, you'll gain Christ. And if you gain Christ, you'll have everything. I remember going up a country lane once in my car and saying, God, I have nobody. I was single at the time. I had nobody, and I had nobody. I had no family, I had no church, nobody. And I said, God, oh, I felt, God, you've trapped me. All I've got is you. And it was almost like the Holy Ghost quickened me and said, say that again. I said, God, all I've got is you. I tell you, you wouldn't have seen it. It turned from despair into joy. And I thought, God, all I've got is you. God, all I've got is you. And I'll tell you what, listen, do you believe in the supernatural? Where do you think these men, how do you think these men got led to Cornelius' house and people got baptized in the Holy Ghost and demons came out and God was giving people names and addresses of people and meet a man there and when you go down to the desert, there's going to be a guy there from Ethiopia and he's going to be there and he's going to... That was dead men living in the power of the Spirit. That was a supernatural life of Pentecost. Pentecost, the power of the Spirit was moving because men got onto the altar and said, Yes, Lord. Friends, put the blame where the blame lies. Let, let's put it at our own feet this morning and say, God, where am I? And I'll tell you this, I've got a shock for you. Nobody needs to change but you. It's dead annoying. <laughs> it's dead annoying. And you want to almost cry out to God, it's not fair. And he goes, tell me about it. I know. And I want to get married and I want to get this and I want to get that, and I want to get that job. And the only time we pray to him is when we, we turn on the top. If we are wanting an anointing or we want a job, and God said, is anybody thought of asking what I want? Has anybody thought of asking what I'd like you to pray? Has anybody ever thought of asking, saying, God, not my will, but yours be done? And you'll read books and testimonies of great men. I'll tell you, not one of them regretted it. Not one of them. I tell you, I've, I've been in full-time ministry now 24 years, and I'll tell you, it's been an absolute joy. I know what it's like to be skint, and I know what it's like to have some money. I know what it's like to drive a car when you hope that the tire doesn't burst, because you've not got the money to change the tire. And I know what it's like to have enough money in the bank to change it for. It's a joy. What a privilege, what an honor the Spirit is offering us this morning to come. And follow him. You don't see Peter following him, do you? With a net behind him, dragging it. Well, just in case it doesn't work out. You see, we have escape routes. And God says, cut him off. If you totally surrender, if you totally trust me, then I'll tell you, you'll come into a place of abiding with an authority 
and a power over yourself, over the devil, and then you will stand up and say, I'm more than a conqueror. And it won't come through a theoretical head or an intelligent head or theologian. You'll feel the abiding presence of Christ inside your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and follow. Let's stand for a moment. Just close your eyes, would you? I don't know what time we're meant to finish up, but I want to ask you in the balcony, I want to ask you in the floor, I want to ask the young, I want to ask the old. And maybe like Abraham, you're saying, I've already left everything. And then the word of God came to Abraham a second time and said, I'm asking you again, will you do it again? And maybe Abraham said, but I left my country, I left my friends, I left everything that was familiar, I left it all. And then he said, will you do it again? Give me Isaac. And I think this morning the Holy Spirit might be asking people again. Now, I'll tell you what you do before. We're going to go and get the children in a minute. And in 10 minutes, you might be sitting in front of your telly having your dinner. But I'll tell you, it's so important what you do with the rest of your life. I don't know what that will mean to you. I don't know what it will look like. But all I can say is there's an altar here with you and God. And you can come and say, I'm giving you everything. And by the way, you're giving them your rights. He's saying you're no rights anymore. I've got all your money. I've got all your time. I've got all your possessions. I'll tell you, it's radical. But I'll tell you, you will not lose out. You will not lose out. What did Moses say? I'm taking you to a milk and honey. And he said, I'm not going if your presence is not there. But Moses was saying is, you see that the church is preaching milk and honey. You give your life to Jesus, you're going to get milk, you're going to get honey. Your cup's going, you're going to prosper us. And thank God for it. But who wants milk and honey if he's not there? And he's saying this morning, count the cost again. And come again. Put yourself on the altar. And let the fire fall. No music. No nothing. Just a call. If that's you, would you leave your seat and come? But count the cost as you come. Don't worry, I'm not looking for a crowd this morning. You just count the cost. That's all. That's the word. Is there anybody else? I'll wait for you at the balcony. talking everything I'm going to pray in about two minutes if anybody else come young and old if you come to the front let me tell you you're going to be challenged this week the enemy is going to challenge the surrender but I'll tell you you're going to feel a power in you you're going to feel hope you're going to feel courage you're going to feel strength I tell you people are praying for, for, for our nation at the moment but let me tell you we are praying that there is a spirit of self-preservation in this nation where God help us we pray that the government get everything sorted out so that we're all right 
But let me ask you this, what's best for the kingdom? That's the question I'm asking. What's best for the kingdom? No, 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 no me having a better life. No me being prosperous. No me having an easy country. What's best for the kingdom? That's the call today. No, how's my bank account? What's best for the kingdom? And you who come out, you count the cost. I'll give you a, a, another minute just to close your eyes and count it. This is between you and Christ. This is between you and him. I'll tell you, this is a sobering moment. Lord, in a moment, you can transport every single man or woman who's standing at this altar into a place of absolute power and abidance of your presence. I thank you, Lord, with all of my heart for every man and woman standing here, Lord. They're going to be challenged this week, yes. The enemy's going to come, yes. But, Lord, you are looking down. And, Lord, the Moses, the Abrahams, the Noahs, the, those who stood alone for you, Lord, knew a power, knew a provision, knew an authority this world knew nothing of. I don't know what it means to these men and women who are standing here today, Lord. I don't know what that cost will mean. But all we know, Lord, is that every man and every woman who's done it, they have made a difference. You, you have supernaturally provided. You have supernaturally put calls on life, Lord. Those who are young and those who are old. You have supernaturally, Lord, made them turn a corner all of a sudden. I pray power to overcome the enemy, power to overcome self. But most of all, Lord, the power to say yes to your will this morning. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for those who have responded and those who are standing, Lord, who have maybe already done that, may they know your continuous grace. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the victory in Hebrews 11. Sawn in two, sawn asunder. Yet, Lord, they gained Christ. Use it at the front, just say yes, Lord. You will not be disappointed. Never, never, never. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week.